Pixel Sift is proudly supported by Murdoch University School of Arts, who have been with us since the very beginning. Uh, it's where we learned how to make podcasts, radio, and video. So if you're interested in a creative degree in games, sound, film, journalism, or maybe you'd like to mix and match, you can head to murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts to learn more about what they've got on offer. That's murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts, or you can search Murdoch University for more information. Murdoch University School of Arts proudly supporting Pixel Sift. Hello and welcome to Pixel Sift, the show that explores the indie game development scene from around Australia and the world. My name is Mitch and joining me today is my co-host, Sarah. Hey, Sarah. Hello. <laughs> hey, how are you going, Mitch? And now our guest today is Aidan Macion from Ultimus. He is the lead developer of Paperbill Panic. Thanks for joining us, Aidan. Hey there. Nice to meet you all. And we'll be hearing more from Aiden later on in the show. But first, what are we taking a look at, Sarah? Cool. So today we'll be taking a look at the different ways publishers are launching and marketing their games at the moment. Excellent. All right, let's get started. Hey there. If you're enjoying the show and you want to hear more, subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, or listen on pixelsift.com.au. See you there. So... EA dropped Apex Legends on us pretty much completely out of nowhere, and the game has been received, re- been received really, really well among the international gaming community. And that's got us thinking, how does the strategy compare to the traditional methods of releasing big-budget AAA titles? So the traditional method being the massive, really big push mark marketing campaigns that we're pretty much used to, where everyone is releasing cinematic trailers, all sorts of betas and alphas, and big, big budget. Everyone knows about this thing coming out two to like sometimes years in advance, that kind of thing, isn't it, Sarah? Oh, usually years in advance. I mean, we're so used to events like PAX and, um, oh, damn, I've completely gone E3. blank. You know that other, the yeah. other big thing where they announce all the games? Like, we're like so used to E3, like big week long events. Like, exactly, E3. Yeah. Like, we're so used to events like that where we can play test games, we can see trailers, we can see gameplay footage. We're all, like, in the world of information, in the world of the internet, we're so used to always knowing when a thing comes out like years before it comes out or roughly when it's going to be released. But Apex just dropped like overnight, it felt like. And it's currently got more views on Twitch than Fortnite by I think about 100,000 I think it was moment, almost double pretty impressive. in the first 24 hours at least. Yeah. And well, for a game that got 1 million unique players in less than eight hours, I think that's extremely impressive for a game that just you know had no hype train, had no, no build-up like we're used to seeing especially. It does seem like there is something to be said for just dropping something out of nowhere with almost, I mean, the only leaks that seemed to come out of it and the only people that were looking were was really the Titanfall community. And um, that was the only place I saw it. And um, and then it just turned into a juggernaut. So, um, Aiden, as a developer yourself, what, what do you think? What do you, what do you think of all this? How, how does this affect the way you market your games? Well, honestly, I think it's like really cool. I mean, as you were saying, it's it hit one million in the first eight hours, and I think it's up to two million now, if I um, heard recently correctly. Um, but I, yeah, compared to a lot of other strategies, you know, seeing it posted all over buses, all that kind of thing, I think it's really interesting to see them just drop it and it be a success. Especially seeing as all the response to it's been very positive. Everyone's saying, you know, it plays great. They'll probably stick with it. Uh, <laughs> I've seen people uninstalling Fortnite to just play Apex instead. That's really cool. One of those people so, yeah, I think it's might really have been me. 
maybe. <laughs> maybe that's where I saw it. I don't know. <laughs> but um, something interesting that I found as well, especially um, on a video um, that my partner was watching earlier, he found a quote from the lead producer. And I went and had a look at the article that that was on. And I believe if I can find where it was at, whoops, it was from, um, I think it was the lead producer, Drew McCoy. And he said that um, when we, you know, we decided to do a free-to-play game, but they didn't want to um, like have a hype train, have it released early because it was published by EA. And he felt like that would be a potential stain on the game. It would make people not want to like, you know, back it because EA, in his words, have had a bit of a, like a bad track record of sorts. So it, by dropping it completely out of the blue, it meant that no one kind of had was going to walk into the game with any expectation, any sense of, you know, what it might be in, in their individual mind. It was, was completely fresh off the block. And I think that's really interesting. So, yeah, the- I, I, oh. I completely agree there because you've got like, when you think of EA, you normally think of things like microtransactions, and then you look at Apex, it's a free-to-play game, it's kind of hopping onto the back of the whole Battle Royale scene. If you had notice in advance and you were told about that, that'd be a lot of time for negative feedback on the, online before it even got released. I'm completely with you there. It does seem that a free-to-play game with microtransactions solely as its, as its income would be right up EA's alley if they... And if if someone's going to do it well, EA would do it because they know microtransactions. It sounds weird to say this, but like, um, <laughs> I would have a lot of faith in EA to create a game which their only income is microtransactions. What do you think of that, Sarah? Absolutely. But like, I think if you're going to release a game like that to a lot of people that spells for a potential bad game... Or a potential because um EA did Battlefront two didn't they Star Wars Battlefront two am I right in saying that Mitch Ah uh, yes yeah and I mean we all we all know what happened we've talked about this on the show you know I think <laughs> in, in light of in light of events like that that just end up feeling like they're burning the player more especially with the um the microtransaction uh, setup and. The, the loot box and, ga- and potential gambling setup. In light of that, I feel like it was probably wise for them to drop this out of the blue because, yes, I do agree, they know what they're doing and they have past experience to learn off as a, as a publisher, as, as you know, a producer. But at the same time, like you don't want to be upsetting players before the game even has a chance to shine. So and- I think it was potentially the most beneficial thing to do for Apex. And obviously, it's paid off immensely, but it was a gamble, I feel like, at the same Interesting time. Interesting you should say don't you don't want to annoy gamers like before the games come out. It does seem that nowadays a big marketing campaign, that's pretty much the only thing it can do. Like no one's really impressed mm. by mm. a Like the first thing anybody compares anything to is when a game comes out that's had a big marketing push, and especially if it's had an E3 presentation, is compare the launch gameplay immediately with the E3 demo. And ultimately, it's never as good. Like, this is like, it happened with Spider-Man, it happened with, um, it happened with Watch Dogs, it happened with all these titles that have had big marketing pushes and big, big showy, um, demos at, at places like Gamescom and E3. And it seems that, it seems that big marketing campaigns can only hurt games now. And maybe dropping games just out of nowhere might be the way to go. What's your take on that that idea, Aiden? Like, do you feel like having a big push for a marketing campaign is better, or do you think dropping out of the blue is better, or is it maybe potentially more like a case by case basis thing? As someone that that works in the industry, I think it's very case by case. I mean, as an indie developer, I would love it if everybody stops doing large advertising campaigns because that means that our smaller one might actually 
get some visits. Uh, Definitely, I don't for necessarily sure. think it's the way to go, though. I think in this case, it was largely a move out of, I don't want to say fear, but it seemed like they were very apprehensive of what the feedback might be and what the reaction might be if they pre-advertised. So I think in this case specifically, as a large studio that has a following to begin with, if they didn't announce it, the game had guaranteed players anyway, just from people, you know, having the origin store, seeing it released. Um, you don't really need advertising to get that kind of view. Um, so I think from there, it was just largely a way to avoid the negative reaction first and let the game speak for itself for a few hours before it came hot topic and talked about. Um, yeah, that's that's my take. Yeah, I actually agree. And I, I think it just it seemed like also um, it's good to point out that Apex Legends is set in the Titanfall universe, and the Titanfall community is very passionate about the about the game. I'm part of it. I'm very passionate oh, yeah. about it myself. And they wanted number three in that series. They wanted it bad, and and I think um, the Titanfall developers were kind of not ruling it out as a possibility before a couple of days ago when Apex Legends came out, and then they completely said they denied working on it at all like that that their focus is now apex legends and that the community needs to now readjust their scope of what's possible from respawn in the near future maybe not the extended future but the near future and i think that kind of thing uh, a big marketing campaign for apex legends that would have just that would have just blown right out of proportion and i think it would have hurt the game like it would have definitely definitely yeah and I think the most passionate yeah. people, especially on, let's say, the subreddit, for example, uh, they're still not happy. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I mean, people scrutinize the most minute details when they love a, a game or a product. Not necessarily a game, but anything. I mean, have, has anybody seen the new uh, San- Sonic the Hedgehog film poster? People <laughs> oh, I like, think, I think analyze everyone, everyone's seen that. Yeah. We've seen, we've and, got one yeah. poster. I've seen a leak of, a, you know, it's always the way, like, you know, there's been leaks of potential internal posters as an example where, where the character design's a lot better, but we don't know what the final product's going to be until the final product comes out. Same deal with Anthem at the moment, especially. Anthem's are another big title that has been teased for a very long time. It was announced um, at E3, I think, when Mass Effect Andromeda was released at the same time. Yeah. Um, from Bioware, of course. In 2014, it was originally announced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a long time running game. Um, the demos come out. I think the general consensus has been no one's really sure if we can say it's going to be good yet. I know there were some issues with the VIP demo. They seem to have fixed a lot of those in the most recent one. I've seen a bit of gameplay footage. It it just looks okay, I guess. Like, And it's interesting because this game was – it had the hype train. You know, It had the heavy marketing push that a lot of other traditional games have had. And I do wonder if that's going to potentially damage it if it turns out to be a subpar game or if it turns out to be fantastic, that's great. Like, But, you know, it's too early to say whether the game's going to be good or not yet because we don't have the full game. No one's played through fully. We don't have reviews, obviously. But I do wonder, is the hype train potentially going to damage that? And obviously, we've talked about um, pre-sales and pre-orders on the show as well before, and that all kind of rolls into it as well when you've got a AAA release that's been hyped for a very long time. Um, Aiden, I've got a question here uh, from our YouTube audience. Uh, Benzene Machine has, um, I think, a question for you. Um, do you plan to do you plan to follow the norm or not with releasing maybe a game in the future? Look, we'll probably follow the norm to what we can. Uh, we we want to be seen. I think that's the biggest thing for any startup studio. 
you, we will have trouble being seen if we don't actively pursue uh, marketing campaigns upon release and things like that. So I think it's kind of a necessity for any smaller company to do their best to get seen by the public. Even if the game's review isn't good, at least it's getting a review, which means when it comes out, it'll have players to counter that. Um, if you don't if you don't market at all, it's never going to get seen. It's never going to get picked up, and you'll just kind of fade into the blue, in my opinion. Awesome. So yeah, I doubt that'll ever change. That's good to hear. Um, so I think we'll just move on to talk to you about Payful Panic. All right, we'll be coming up next with Aiden Macion. Mitch, what's Discord? Discord is an online chat service that most gamers use. Incidentally, you can also use it to talk to us at pixelsiv.com.au forward slash Discord. Yeah, you can talk about uh, episodes, you can talk about upcoming topics, you can probably even coerce Mitch into playing a game with you online. That's not going to happen. That is going to happen. You're doing it. I'm saying that's happening. Sorry. Yeah, well... Join Discord. You should grow your beard back. pixelsiv.com.au forward slash Discord. You know, I don't come across very well in that commercial. Like, I don't really like no, it. Instead of, yeah, of, of course, instead of yeah. Fortnite, you can play Apex Legends with Mitch now yeah. if you join the Discord. It's oh, Mitch, I see you play one. golf with friends. Old. Yeah, that you was fun. You should play golf with friends with me online. <laughs> I think we, I Specifically think we would... online, because now you're our friend, you've been on the episode. Everyone that comes on the episode is now automatically our friends. <laughs> it's how we get most of our friends. Anyway. Unfortunately. <laughs> Got to get a squad somewhere. Yeah. Speaking of friends, we are joined by Aiden Macion, the from Ultimist Studios, and he is the lead developer of Paperville Panic. Uh, thanks for joining us, Aiden. Um, so to get us started off, um, can you give us a quick summary summary of Paperville Panic? Yeah, absolutely, I can. Uh, it's a VR headset game. If you haven't seen it at all, which I'm sure a lot of you probably haven't, uh, but essentially you enter in a town made of paper. You're its newest firefighting recruit. And uh, the town, coincidentally enough, has its very first fire. It's a wonder they didn't have one in the past, but, you know, there you go. That's game settings. So, you know, you get to run around, you chop down doors, you put out fires, you save citizens, etc. The usual, you know, firefighting activities. And then sometimes you just kind of get, like, put in other situations, which might seem strange at the time, but they're always a bit of fun. Yeah, so... So, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, you know, tongue-in-cheek. We try and have a lot of fun with it, you know, we kind of take a flip on this whole cute vibrant exterior and like with you know innuendos and potty humor so a town made of paper experiencing its very first fire you know when when i first said that i just thought that was comedy <laughs> I yeah thought, it was just it's, oh, it's, it's so great like um um where so where did the idea of like okay town made of paper where, where did that come from okay so originally we were like we we're trying to come up with game ideas you know you just rack your brain for days until you find the right one and we kind of just stuck in this groove of taking semi-normal career paths and just adding strange spins on them you know like you know you take a garbage collector and then you make the giant armor tractor bean and you make civilians worth points too and things like that you're just taking an idea and making it really wacky and we kind of settled on this idea of firefighting because we thought you know it'd be really cool to bring something like that to life especially in a vr sense um you get that like claustrophobic feel of being trapped in this room filled with smoke and you know, things like that and we thought you know uh, chopping down doors make you feel physically active would be really cool in a vr environment so um, i'm looking at the website here and i've noticed so it says from clearing building fires rescuing citizens from rubble hacking through doors and dealing with townsfolk and their personal issues yeah <laughs> can, you, can you run me through some of those <laughs> so there's there, oh there's a few there's a few situations uh 
you, you got to help out the mayor a lot. He's got a bit of a, a crush on you. No spoilers. Um, and, you know, there's things like you gotta, you got to run to the convenience store to get a jug of milk, you know, things like that. I would just kind of put you in some strange situations. There's a parade, that kind of thing. <laughs> so um, you, you launched um, toward the middle of last year. So how long has it been in development for? Yeah, um, about that. So originally it was actually supposed to be a, a three-month project. <laughs> At this point, it's been about two years from start to full release. We did have a, a large-ish early access period. We were early access for, I think, six months, roughly. Um, but yeah, originally it was supposed to be something really small, something to sort of test the market waters before we got full hog into VR development. Um, but by the time those like three months were over, we had a prototype and it felt pretty solid in a lot of ways. And we got pushed towards making it bigger, making it better, adding more to it, trying to add some story elements to it, things like that. So we kind of just took it back to the drawing board, redesigned it, trying to incorporate some new stuff and see what we could come up with. So I gave it a shot at PAX and the demo there was absolutely fantastic. I remember throwing water bombs at like a giant flaming like monster fireball sort of thing, which I thought was really interesting. Like, and that was obviously fantastic in VR. It was very immersive looking up and seeing this thing right in front of your face. Did you always mean for Paper Fill Panic to be a VR game or did that just kind of come up along the way? First of all, thanks very much for saying it's a good game because, you know, that might get us some purchases. That'd be good. <laughs> it was really, really fun. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> No, I'm glad. Um, originally, we, we had a big discussion about what platforms we wanted to target before we even started coming up with game ideas. We kind of decided, you know, where should we start? We're new. What can we do? Where may we succeed the best? And we sort of looked at VR and it was new and it was exciting. And the target audience was small, but the game selection was even smaller. So we thought if we hit in there around that time period, we might get some more breathing room and allow the game to speak for itself and spread word of mouth. Um, Unfortunately, it did take a bit longer than we expected, and we kind of missed that boat by a bit, but that was the original intention. Um, I've got a question here from Benzie Machine again in uh, the YouTube chat. Um, how many different situations are there in the game? Well, there are... Hang on a second. There are seven individual levels, and they're all very different in situation. I, I don't think we share like any two main themes through any levels. I'm noticing like a uh, <laughs> I'm noticing a lot of carnival games as well in the gameplay footage. How did that come about? Like how did you, how did you decide what to put in and what to leave out? <laughs> Trial and error. Normally we would make the mechanic and see how fun it was to use cuz it's VR. We really wanted to mess about for a while and find out what was fun. So we just started making mechanics being like, "Yeah, that's sick. Let's let's, you know, focus that in the next level. You know, let's try and incorporate as much as we can into using that new mechanic." So, yeah, it was a lot of just trial and error and trying to make fun things and then putting them in and moulding the level around it. Speaking of fun things, were there any major influences to the game's humour? Uh, there were plenty. So this the script was written entirely in-house, you know, namely by uh, Pete Meredith and Callum. Uh, uh, Pete Meredith were our leads at the time and Callum was our QA tester, still is. Um, and we also did all the voiceover work in-house as well, so funnily enough, except for one character. But a lot of our influence came from shows like you know, South Park, things like that. It was largely just an attempt to throw the audience, you know, give them an art style, make them expect one thing and then flip it on its head and try and make them see another. Because, um, like, speaking of expectations earlier, you know, I personally find that if your expectations are just broken, 
you end up experiencing what you get more and appreciating it for what it is or disliking it for what it is rather than consistently comparing it to what you originally expected. So I think like the biggest influence was probably the art itself and just doing whatever we could to break the player's expected reaction to that art. Cool. So uh, this is one, this one thing I've actually wanted to ask since experiencing the game myself. Have you gotten a chance yeah. to show the game to any real firefighters and what did they think of that? Coincidentally, we did once. Um, pure coincidence, one of the team members' siblings was a firefighter and we got them into playtest <laughs> fairly early on. It was a bit rough and there was a big learning barrier to VR, but I think overall it was pretty cool. Uh, there wasn't a lot of job-specific feedback because, you know, at the end of the day, this was very much a game, <laughs> not at all what he does in his day-to-day life. Uh, so it was a lot more game-specific than job-specific, but it was pretty interesting to see him get in there and enjoy it. Um, so um, if you're just joining us, uh, thank you for watching. Uh, you're tuned into Pixel Sift. Uh, we're an indie gaming interview podcast live on Twitch. Um, and if you've just joined us, once again, we're talking to Aiden Macchion about his game, Paperville Panic. Um, now, Aiden, I did see that you have a live-action trailer uh, for your game. Oh. And um, yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask, what was that like to create? Where did the idea come from? So I, I actually wasn't involved in that one, so I can't tell you too much about oh, yeah. it. Uh, essentially, <laughs> the, the company that uh, runs Ultimus also has a marketing company. <laughs> so that was kind of a collab between Ultimus and them where we just gave them the headsets and they went mad for a few days with it and came back with the live action. And we were like, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, so that was fun. But yeah, I, I really didn't have too much involvement with that. <laughs> awesome. Um, so, so basically, um, how long... So we'll, t- we'll talk about Ultimus for a second. How long have you guys been a studio for? Uh, Paperville Panic was our first title. We were only around for a, about a month before that, and that was mainly just, you know, planning, hiring, getting ideas ready, that kind of thing. So I think uh, I will have been working there two years. Yeah, just just over two years, about a week ago. Oh. And it pretty much started a week before that. So, yeah, just over two years old. Are there any other major studio titles or, like, big projects that you're able to talk about at the moment that Ultiverse have planned? Or, like, you know, do you have any idea of what you guys want to do now that Paperville Panic's done? We have an idea. I don't think I'm allowed to talk about it as That's much okay. as I would That's like okay. to. It's actually really cool stuff. I'm really excited to be able to talk about that more. Um, hopefully, we can talk about that another time. <laughs> so we'll be seeing. Uh, we'll be talking to you guys on the show maybe in another two years. Yeah, we'll do a repeat. We can do a, a fantastic uh, recap episode. Golf with friends uh, playthrough or something. <laughs> we'll do it. We'll do a special golf with friends episode with you. Fantastic! Mm-hmm. It's right. good to know that you guys are you guys are going off strong after the release of Paperville Panic. Yeah, we're definitely not lying down. We're going to power through to the next thing pretty much immediately. We've got Excellent. a few more things we want to work on with Paperville first. Uh, again, I can't talk about, unfortunately. But as soon as that's done, we're just going to straight on through to the next project. We've already got it planned and we're ready to go. Nice. I got one more question uh, before we sign off from Benzene Machine again. Uh, so I think we may have covered this slightly uh, earlier mm-hmm. in the episode, but um, what was your target audience and did you have it in mind from the beginning? Well, with VR, we had a small uh, target demographic to begin with. So we just kind of picked the most prominent audience for VR and tried to target towards that. 
Um, and basically that just means we were trying to hit early adopters. Generally, that means, you know, you've got your mid to late 20s, early 30s, somewhere around that period. They're working full time. They have some expendable income. Otherwise, like, how can you afford a $15 headset plus a $3,000 computer? Um, so that was what marketing tried to focus towards. Uh, and for the actual game itself, we thought, you know, we'll try and match the humor to that, give them a proper amount of enjoyment for that target audience, but try and draw in some of the extra crowd with our art style and odd bits of pieces of humor and jobs and things like that. Excellent. And um, was that ever a consideration that the barrier for entry for VR, because not many people actually own it, was that, was, was that a conversation you had to have with your team before you decided to work on the VR game? There's been a lot of conversations about that general just barrier to entry. That's why we've tried to be uh, so active at events like PAX, because often the best way to try and sell this game is to get someone to play it. Um, and again, the VR audience is early adopters, and they're often people that will spend the extra money to get a good product, but that they want a good product. So if you give them a bad product, it'll generally just get thrown back at you. You'll get bad reviews. You'll get flamed on Reddit. Um, so we had a lot of talk, a lot of talks about you know how how we can best penetrate that market and the risks involved with it. And, um, okay, we've got one final question uh, from Marcus Playstuff. Yep. It's actually a very good place to sign off, actually. Uh, Marcus Playstuff asks, where can I follow Aiden and his team and get updates? Okay, so uh, let me just uh, get my Twitter up for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on Twitter, we're just called Ultimerse. You can look at us up. Uh, it's U-L-T-I-M-E-R-S-E. Uh, and I am Aiden McKeown Dev on Twitter. But if you really want us, you can pretty much just find us all at ultimus.com on our email. Like, it's first name at Ultimus. I'm Aiden at Ultimus. Yeah, hit us up. Excellent. And the We've game got is... a Paperville Panic Discord as well, funnily enough, if you want that. You should definitely join that. Um, okay, and the game is available on Steam right now. Yeah, supports Vive, Windows Mixed Reality, Oculus, anything that you can get on Steam. Excellent. All right. Well, um, thank you very much for joining us for another no, thank episode. Thank you for inviting Oh, Pixelsift. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining me. And uh, thank you, Aiden, for joining us. Cheers. And uh, for spending some time with us and this evening to tell us about your game, Paperbill Panic. Now, this episode was hosted by myself, Mitchell Lowe, and Sarah Island, and it was produced by Scott Quigg, Fiona Bartholomeus, and our executive producer is Johnny Giovanni. Thank you very much to Murdoch University School of Arts for supporting Pixelsift through all 114 episodes. If you'd like to learn more about the gr- a great creative degree, go to murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts. And as always, we'll be sticking these links to the topics we talked about on the show in the notes of our website, www.pixelsiv.com.au and uh, the absolute best thing you can do is head to pixelsiv.com.au forward slash discord if you want to keep up with everything we're doing because we post everything there first Uh, pixelsiv.com.au forward slash discord so we've also got other social media like twitter facebook and instagram you just search pixelsiv in there we're we're all we're all there Um, so sarah if people if people want to listen to other episodes of the show where can they go you can go to our website to stream episodes. You can subscribe as a podcast, either on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcasts, or whatever podcast player you like. We're on all of them now, so like, comment, and subscribe. And while you are there on Apple Podcasts, if you can give us a review and a star rating, that would really help other people find our show. Or even better, just load up an episode of Pixel Sift on your friend's phone. If you think they'd love it, do it on their computer. Do it on your work computers. Show everyone Pixel Sift. <laughs> It'll be fine, I promise. Yep. All right. And... 
Well, I do that all the time. But we're live every Thursday. Our next episode, however, will be on the 21st of February. But next week, this time, you can join us for Pixel Sift Plays as we play some indie games we feature from the podcast and more. Thank you very much. 